Hills and Valleys is a podcast that uncovers stories from leaders in healthcare, tech, and everything in between. Straight from the heart of Silicon Valley, we give you a look at the good, the bad, and the future, one episode at a time. Brought to you by Petro Medical. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Patrol Medical, and we wanted to publish this uh, very special episode before Thanksgiving um, in a way for us to really show our gratitude for the friends and families we have, and especially our frontline healthcare heroes. Now, um, Joseph Richards uh, was a nurse that we met at, um, at one of our hospitals, and he has a really remarkable story because Joseph last year was diagnosed with cancer uh, and it was quite quite a tragedy and he remarkably beat it and survived and uh, finished his chemo this uh, past uh, uh, February but upon doing so not only did he take his duty back up as a nurse he went back in the hospital and volunteered on the COVID-19 units Joseph is an incredibly remarkable person, and he's somebody that I think you'll really gain deep appreciation for to hear a story like his and know that people like him, Americans like him, exist in our country is something that we can all be very proud and grateful for. So without further ado, here is our interview with Joseph Richard. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Petro Medical with another great episode of Hills and Valleys. Uh, I heard about this young gentleman's story earlier this week and I couldn't help but be incredibly inspired by it because of the bravery and courage it takes to do the things that this uh, young man has done. And we're joined by Joseph, uh, Joseph Richard, who is a nurse on the front lines uh, of this uh, really devastating pandemic. But what's most interesting and I would say inspiring is that Joseph is actually a cancer survivor and upon uh, coming out of treatment uh, he had every right not to go back into nursing and he did and when he went back into nursing he volunteered himself in the middle of a pandemic coming out of a cancer diagnosis to go on the front lines and be in the COVID unit so um, I can't explain what kind of bravery and what kind of uh, character it takes to do that uh, but I, I want to learn more and, and and share his story. So, Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So, Joseph, why don't we kind of start from the beginning? What made you become a nurse? What's your background and story like? Um, when I was young, I remember um, I was in a church setting with my my mom, my aunt, you know, the rest of my family, and I was 12, so I fell asleep in church like 12 year olds do. And I remember waking up and I actually saw my mom who's a nurse and my aunt who's a doctor uh, performing CPR on the preacher because he'd actually fallen out and I guess he'd coded, um, you know, of course I don't understand what's going on at this point, but in my mind, I was like, I want to be like my mom and my aunt. So after that, I did EMT basic in high school and I got certified as an EMT basic. And then I decided to go to nursing school. And then while I was in nursing school, I worked in the ER and I admired working alongside those nurses. Um, and I definitely realized like nursing was going to be something that I would enjoy doing probably for a long time. So that's kind of what made me decide to be a nurse. It's fantastic. Where, uh, where, where did you uh, uh, go to school and where did you train? Um, so I went to Northwestern in Louisiana Mm-hmm. Um, there's two campuses. There's one in Natchitoches, which is a small town, and then the nursing campus is in Shreveport. So, are you originally from the South? I am. Really? Where Where in the South are you from? I am originally from a small town named Natchitoches, but I grew up in Bossier City. Oh, got it. No wonder we get along so well. I'm from the South as well. I'm, I'm originally from Texas. Oh, okay. Which part? Uh, El Paso, Texas. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Southerners. Like we know what it's about, man. You know, yeah, that is, it's a whole different place down there. It's, it's it cool. really is. It really is, man. I'll tell you, uh, I got, I got, I gained a lot of weight when I went to New Orleans. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> a lot. It's really a good lot. food. Yeah, really good. <laughs> so then, what took you from the south, you know, all the way out here to the west coast? So I became a nurse, and I was, you know, for two years. I worked 
Um, but I wanted to get out of, you know, my smaller town, of course. And I know I what that's friend. like, too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel, I feel you on that. We love, we, hey, hometown heroes, we love, oh, yeah. we love it. We had to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> something else so yeah. i was like i'm gonna be a travel nurse it's gonna be the best thing ever i traveled up north um near san francisco actually i was in um san jose well actually i was in gilroy but it was near san jose yeah was, um that was my first assignment and i was like this is a really small place but then i had a friend from louisiana who was in california and he said you should come to west hollywood so i applied for um a job and got the job and came down to LA. So, how old how old were you when you when you uh, moved down to West Hollywood? I was twenty six. So yeah, so. Pretty, you know, young <laughs> young guy traveling and everything. It's like yeah, why not move to West Hollywood? You're a lot smarter than me. <laughs> I was twenty six. I think I think I was yeah. I was still in in Texas in my town, so I didn't get out until later. Um, so fantastic. And so where um, where did you start your career in West Hollywood? So I started my career as a traveler at uh, Cedar sinai um, in the medical ICU. Because I'd been a uh, medical ICU nurse because in order to travel, you have to, you know, be a medical, or you have to be an ICU nurse for two years if you want to travel in an ICU. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of thing that I would tell people, if you want to be an ICU travel nurse, you definitely need to get a good foundation of experience because as a traveler, you get two days of orientation and then that's it, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, nurses are going to back you up, but you have to be able to hold your own in that environment, so. Absolutely, and you know, for me, um, in a previous life, I, I was I was actually in medical school and worked very closely with a lot of a lot of nurses. And, you know, I have, res I have the utmost respect for all nurses. That said, what I will say is, there's a certain territory that comes with being an ICU nurse. I mean, you, you, you feel it when you're around them and especially uh, uh, the ICU nurses who have been doing it for two, three, four decades. I feel like they're, they're like, they're almost like decorated five-star generals, you know, from the military. Oh, yeah. Like they're, 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 they're really, they're really lovely, sweet people, but they're hard and you, yeah. can, you can, like, you can feel it, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So when you traveled uh, as a traveling nurse, you know, you got this great experience, but I think the big thing about being a traveling nurse is that you're not, you don't technically have a home, right? You're, you're, you're bouncing around. And so you don't get the benefit of just having, let's say one mentor. So you really have to rely on yourself to learn a lot. Did you, did you feel like that was your experience? Um, at the first hospital I worked at, I felt that way. But then when I came to Cedars, actually, um, I ended up feeling like I had a home in these people. I met so many nice nurses on the night shift. Um, I'm still friends with them to this day, even though a lot of us have kind of gone our own separate ways and things, you know. But I definitely feel like I had a home there. And then that's why I actually decided to stop travel nursing and just stay there because I was like, you know what? I met some great friends outside of work, at work. Like, this is the perfect setup for me at this point. So. I just had to stay <laughs> and I hate it moving. <laughs> well, and while you were there, did you have any, um, any mentors? Did you have anybody who kind of took you under their wings where you learned a lot or what was that like? I feel like it was a lot of the nurses on the shift. I mean, I could, you know, name multiple people. It literally, like, I feel like that everybody had my back on that shift, you know, like it was, I don't know. It was the best case scenario, I would say. Fantastic. So why don't we, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear about it. When, when did you get your, your cancer diagnosis? What was that like? You know, could you walk, walk us through that. Cause that's, it's a really, really scary moment. Uh, no matter how much you might be uh, exposed to it, like in medicine, like that's, that's mm -hmm. a really intense thing, you know? I will say um, just to, you know, I've been a nurse obviously for so long, for 10 years, but when somebody is explaining something to you yourself um, as the patient, you don't hear it the same. So mm. I definitely did not hear it the same. I didn't know, like I understood it, but I didn't understand like completely. Like as a nurse, I feel like I would, as your nurse, I would be like, I've got it. I figured, I know what to do. Like I can, mm -hmm. I can figure this out. But for my own self, I was just like, wait, 
what? It didn't make sense. Even though before I got the diagnosis, I knew it was cancer, but I just, I wasn't ready to kind of admit that to myself, I think. So I was diagnosed um, in like mid-September, but I'd been feeling symptoms um, maybe I would like to say in March, and this was of last year, 2019. Um, the first symptoms I remember, you know, feeling, and then at the time they weren't symptoms to me at the time, they were just like random things happening. I was like, oh, that can't be anything. Especially um, being young, like you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was working out. We were getting ready to go to Coachella. It was a big deal oh, to us. <laughs> well, that, yeah, you really do live in West Hollywood. You got to go to Coachella yes. in SoCal. <laughs> Like we were, we were all talking about our outfits for Coachella. Like, you know, <laughs> I could, I wouldn't have thought cancer was coming up. You know, what were some of those symptoms? If you don't mind, mind. Uh, no, I don't mind at all. Um, so the first symptom, um, again, like I said, I'll tell you when I started thinking these were cancer symptoms. But the first symptom was actually like an itchy scalp, like extremely, extremely dry. And I was just like, really? I was like, well, this is random like i've never had like an itchy scalp like this before but then i was just, just like whatever it just felt like someone threw itching powder and you were just constantly it was the worst itching you would ever see and it was like super super dry and i was just like this it's not horrible but i can fix this i was like you know what i'll i'll get a, a doctor's appointment it's whatever yeah that was the first thing the second thing i remember having extremely bad arm pain like my um my family and I, when we could actually travel, we met in Oregon to see some other family. And I remember my arm hurt so bad. And my dad had to go pick me up like hot packs. I was taking ibuprofen constantly, which you're not mm -hmm. supposed to do. But obviously I was like, well, something's gotta break this pain. Like I, you know, I needed something and it would help. Um, but then, you know, it was just a constant pain and eventually it got a little bit better. But then the next thing, I remember we went to the beach because it's the summer at this point. Um, and all my friends are, you know, we're taking pictures. And I, my friend was like, oh my gosh, you look super skinny. <laughs> and, you know, we're in West Hollywood. So we're all like, thank you. <laughs> That's great. Um, and then I remember I put on a shirt to go to a friend's going away party and the shirt didn't fit me like my shirts fit me because the year before my friends were making fun of the fact that like my shirt was so tight that it was going to burst open because again I was working out a lot so I'd gained a lot of muscle but then the shirt literally just swallowed me whole mm. but then I was like okay this might not be good something might be happening and then when I finally said I think it might be cancer was when like a lump appeared on my neck Mm. Uh, and I was at work and I talked to one of the physicians. I was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, run the ultrasound on my neck. Can you take a look at it and see what you think? And she was like, yeah, that looks really concerning. You should probably go see your primary as soon as you can. And fortunately, I had just like my um, I just had a um, a um, scheduled appointment with my doctor because I had, I'd never seen a doctor, like an actual primary doctor. And I know everybody probably says that about nurses, like, you know, we don't go to the hospital unless we have to go to the hospital. But I was like, you know what, I'm getting older. I need to probably go see a doctor. So I had set up that appointment, not thinking that these, all these problems were related. But then after seeing that, I was like, you know what, I think this might be this might be cancer, but you know, of course I didn't want to say that. And I was also having like night sweats and I was just like, oh, this can't be good. Like I would have, like when I would drink like any like beer or anything like that, I would have chest pain. Mm. Um, and of course I did the one thing also that everybody says don't do, I Googled it. <laughs> Cause you're not supposed to do that. But then I was like, you know what? with my medical background and Googling it, like I know what could be possible. You won't go down the wrong, like you won't get into this, yeah. like, crazy online Facebook forum that people are saying, yeah. you know, heal, heal yourself with oils or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I use rationale like, okay, I'm having this chest pain. I feel like something's wrong with my neck. Then I was like, I had to answer questions for myself. I'm like, okay, the lymphatic system, where does it go? Mm -hmm. You know, like I had to review that because, you know, as a bedside nurse, I'm not looking at the lymphatic. That's not what I have to do. But 
I was like, let me review that because I know this is a thing. And sure enough, it goes right where the pain was kind of hurting. And then, of course, I looked it up and they were like, well, in the foma, you'll have swollen lymph nodes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you could possibly have pain with drinking alcohol. I was like, well, that seems about what I'm having. So, so of course, I had an idea of what the diagnosis was, but I saw the doctor. She suggested doing a, um, a formal ultrasound of my neck. Um, and we were waiting for that to come up. Then we were waiting for the results, of course. But before the results came back, I had chest pain again. And I was like, you know what? And I called her and I said, I honestly think that whatever's wrong with my neck is wrong with my chest. And I think I need a CT. And fortunately, the doctor, you know, she didn't give me any pushback. She said, you know what? You're right. Let's just go on and get the CT done before the, um, the results come back. Um, so... That being said, I'm still working. Um, I'm a CN3 at work, so I have certain things that I have to do. So I'm, at this point, I'm orienting someone. Um, I have a project that I need to do. So I had to go get a biopsy one day, like a punch biopsy. And I don't know if people know what that is, but when so I said- Explain <laughs> to some of the non-medical folks what a punch biopsy is. I didn't know what a punch biopsy was because at my job, I don't, again, I don't, I don't do that. Like, you know, in the medical field, I feel like if you work in a certain area, you see certain things over and over and over. Biopsies, not like that. You just don't see punch biopsies. I've never seen it. So I'm like, okay, punch biopsy, cool. I go into the office thinking it'll be fine, whatever. Cause I drove there. So I'm like, surely I'm not gonna be, you know, in any pain or anything. It's not gonna be horrible. I can handle anything. They put the lidocaine and I was like, oh, that hurt a little bit, but whatever. They get this gun <laughs> and literally, shoot what feels like a bullet into your neck six times. And when I say I was shaking, I it was it was quite possibly like the worst pain I'd ever felt. Um, after going through everything, I feel like that, maybe that ranks number two on the pain scale of things that I felt during that whole situation. <laughs> um, but it was so painful and I still had to go to work the next day. I was, this is horrible. But it was whatever, because I was like, in my mind, I was scared that I knew, again, I knew what was going on. And I was like, it's going to come a time I'm not going to be able to work. So I need to go on and clock these hours because I'm not going to be able to work here soon. And I I knew it before I got a, a formal diagnosis. I knew something was wrong. And the worst thing that I heard from the doctor was the punch biopsy was inconclusive. I was like, you got to be joking. This has got to be a joke. So they had to schedule me for a um, actual surgery to get a true biopsy. And I mentioned the thing about the CN3 because I had to do my projects this and the other. I was orienting at the time. So I was orienting someone. So I feel like I had to keep my game face on and be like, you know what? Like, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. I have to train this guy to make sure that he's a good ICU nurse. How long ago was this? Like, what what year or month was this that, that you're describing? Was this last year or? This was last year in September. In September. Okay, we're talking mm-hmm. about, so last year, 2019 in September. Okay. Yeah, early okay. September, this was happening. Okay. Early, like, end of August, early September. So I'm orienting. Um, and then also, I remember going so the morning that I had to go or the evening that I had to go get the true biopsy um that was I feel like for me that was a really emotional day because at that point I already got the CT scan done like I said I'm a CN3 so I have a project to do so that morning I actually had to do a safety committee project so I had to put on this whole show thing you know with my you know committee members and things like that um and it was so sad because, you know, the, you, everybody brings food and I'm like, I can't eat. And everybody's like, why can't you eat? And I'm like, I have like a procedure to do. Um, I remember one of my coworkers, like we were talking and she was like, yeah, you look really, really skinny. Like, because everybody's so used to my clothes being so tight. You know, I live in West Hollywood, like all my clothes were tight. Everybody's like, your clothes are like actually falling off. And then later that day, I'm getting ready to leave the hospital because I'm like, okay, I've got to leave the hospital. I have to go make sure my dog is okay. And I have to come back to the hospital later for the biopsy. 
Um, the doctor calls me. She said, Joseph, your CT came back and it is consistent with lymphoma. So we're going to go on and get your the biopsy today, but we're pretty sure that it is lymphoma. We need to find out what kind of lymphoma it is and we need to get this ball rolling as fast as possible. So the day was emotional for me because that was the day that I told my mom what was going on because she's still in Louisiana. And of course, you know, you don't want to sound the alarm until you have to sound the alarm. <laughs> and you're and the, uh, how many, do you have siblings? I'm the oldest by 10 years. You're the oldest, okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't want to worry my mom. I didn't want to scare her. But at the same time, I was like, okay, this is starting to get to the point where she needs to know what's going on. Because, you know, to get the biopsy that I had to get, they actually had to intubate, like, which is when they put the tube down, you're on life support, they give you the medicine, you're knocked out. And I was like, you know, being in a medical ICU nurse, I'm like, heaven forbid something happens and I end up having to go to the medical ICU to the ICU. And my mom's like, what happened? How did I not know this was happening? And I think that's the first time that I actually like bawled. Like I was crying about the whole situation because I was like, I it's just, it was so hard to tell my mom, you know? Like I've been dealing with it for, you know, for the lot for more than a few months. And, you know, finally thinking it's cancer myself. And then finally getting the, you know, the unofficial diagnosis from the doctor, it was just really hard telling my mom. So, but, you know, of course my mom was supportive and she was ready to get on a plane immediately. And I was like, stop right there, mom, don't do that just yet. My friends will take care of me through this part. I'm going to need you eventually though to come out. So that was pretty much the diagnosis part of that. <laughs> That's really, really tough. Yeah, it was a tough one. It was. It was tough, but it was okay. And I fortunately had like really, really good friends that were also my coworkers and they've been my friends for years. And they they took me to the biopsy, they waited. Um, I woke up, my friends were you know, there for me. They called my mom. Um, it was okay, it was, it was okay. And I took the next day off and then the next day I had to go back to work to Orient. <laughs> wow. wow. So when did you, when did you, so this all happened in September of last year. When did you start your treatment? So that's a, <laughs> here's one thing that I did. And it's, it's hard to, to say if I would recommend doing this when I do it again. But at that time, I actually had a vacation planned at the end of September. And my doctor was like, okay, we're going to, you know, get you in for treatment, this and the other, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, you know what, actually I have a, have a vacation plan to Barcelona. I'd never been to Barcelona. We were going on a cruise. It was actually a gay cruise. Um, and I was like, this is a once in a life, well, not once in a lifetime. I could have always done this any other time. I was like, you know what? I've been fine all this time. I'm going to actually take that time off. Yeah, have, because a, here have we a fun and party, especially, look, I mean, cru cruises, I mean, you know. <laughs> well, we're not going to do that again now for a while, so. But yeah. this is, my rationale and you know at that time and i feel like i still stand by that decision i know that when you're going through treatment and things like that you're not you're not going to go anywhere you shouldn't really be going to many right. places because you know all these numbers drop this and the other and then i also know the risk of having cancer and going through treatment like you could i mean worst case scenario you could die you know like and what's, what's so crazy, and this was, you know, my friends after, you know, looking back at everything and they would always, they would tell me like, you know, there were certain times like you would say this and I had to like step back and I would cry. Like, this is what my friends are telling me. I remember after that biopsy, I guess I was so out of it. I told my friend, I was like, people die from this. And my friend is in my kitchen and I'm just sitting here loopy from drugs. And he said he was just bawling because he was like, oh my God, this is so real. Um, but I knew that that was a possibility. Like, I mean, you just all, at that point, I was just like, wow, I guess I'm not like immortal. <laughs> like, I guess this really could happen. So I was like, I'm going to take the trip. I'm going to take the trip. And I was like, and if anything happens and I feel like, like my health is in jeopardy or I feel worse, I'm going to go to the hospital. Cause I know, I know when like things are bad. I just, I know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, that's... <laughs>
He went on a um, one week long uh, cruise and just balled out of control. I did. I did. It was super fun. Absolutely needed. Um, perfect way to kick off treatment. <laughs> because when I got back, I was, was still working. about the cruise? The favorite part for me about the cruise was just getting to have the freedom of being myself. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like I get that, of course, like in my day to day, but this was literally just a time to just take a break from work, take a break from everything and just be fun mm-hmm. um, and not, you know, worry about like all the adult things that I have to deal with and not worry about being diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a good time. And I did. And it was a one week long cruise or? It was. It was a one week long cruise out of Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Mediterranean cruise, all you can eat. You're meeting a lot of great yeah. people, partying, having fun. Yes. You know, Very, it was it was like amazing. Would not trade that experience for the world. Like it was amazing. So while you know, again, I'm a I'm a big believer in doing what your intuition tells you to do, you know. Um and I think maybe your intuition pushed you to do that because I wonder how many times during your treatment, you know, I think we we have so much more power just in our minds than we realize. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through really hard times, you have to go to the metaphorical, I guess, cookie jar in your head and pull from happy times, times when you felt good, just, you know, get a little dopamine flowing in your body. Did you ever during your treatment, like kind of go back in your mind and thought about like the fun times on the cruise or something and, you know, reimagine it? Did it help? I did. It does. And I still think about it because I'm like, wow, that was like such a fun moment. Like, again, so needed. And I planned that trip for literally a year, not knowing what was coming, Mm, you know? So I think it definitely helped to have that. But I mean, but not only did that help me through things, like my family helped me, my friends helped me. I literally, you know, I've I've spoken to people who have had cancer as well. And they were like, yeah, I had to go on antidepressants. I was like, I didn't need that because I, I was so, I was so overwhelmed with love and support. I was just like, I don't like, I don't know. I didn't need it. I was fine. My saying that I kept telling myself is, um, I'll cross that bridge when it comes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to just cross the bridge when it comes. And I took a quote from, um, I love Florence and the Machines. <laughs> and she has this song. Um, it's called Only for the Night. And I just took the one line. It said, the only solution was to stand and fight. And my friend bought me a bracelet that said that quote on it. I was like, oh my gosh, like, come on. Like, it, I just was so surrounded by so much positivity that there was no way I could get down. <laughs> That's amazing. And, you know, um, definitely like a lot of love and a, a positive attitude. It's, it's not enough to, to overcome a cancer diagnosis, but I think it definitely is gonna help. It definitely, and, I definitely. And, and this is something that's not really well studied in medicine. And I think it should be taken really seriously, which is like, you know, there are plenty of times that people get a, a you know, for you, you're younger, but somebody who's uh, later on in life gets a cancer diagnosis, you know, and they, they quit their job, they stop everything. And they said, I'm going to go do whatever I want. And then magically through, of course, therapy, but, uh, but also, you know, on its own, like they, they survive the cancer and then they're cancer free. And I think there's there's something about that, um, about the uh, potential power of, of, of energy healing. You know, I, some people yeah. lose their mind on me that I just said, but I, I, I really believe that. Like, you know, so, I mean, think about it. Like for you, 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 you were surrounded with love and support. You went on this great cruise that you're able to pull uh, memories from and everything. And so one of those things that you didn't have to get on antidepressants, which seems like a small thing, but then think about all the side effects that come along with antidepressants. Your body is already going through a lot and then you have to mm-hmm. add an antidepressant. So there's, I think there's something, and again, you can't, how can you measure that, right? Right? Yeah, I don't, yeah. But I don't it sounds like that had an impact. It definitely had an impact. I mean, I, I feel like after going through that, it just kind of opened my eyes to being like, oh wait, you know, maybe there is like power in your mind, you know? I mean, cause I literally had, just nothing but time to just think of positive things. I had a lot of time. I didn't, you know, 
I feel like day to day, we're always running around. We have this to do. We have this task, that task, blah, blah, blah. At this point, I didn't really have those tasks. I, you know, it started dwindling down, of course, because, you know, after I got the port put in my arm, they were like, well, you can't lift more than 10 pounds. I was like, okay, well, then after that, that's it. I'm done working. So my manager, you know, they were super supportive. They were like, what do you need from us? Like, we, you know, we've got it. We'll figure it out. So, you know, I put in my leave of absence and, you know, everything went smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke with, you know, the doctors at work because, you know, the thing is, is, and I think this is the, the hard part about healthcare. Um, a lot of the things that were going to happen for me, as far as like getting my port and, you know, getting a bone marrow biopsy and this and the other, my doctor, she was really good about pushing it, being like, we need this to be done like sooner. Um, and then sometimes they would put the order in as sooner, it would be like a month later, right? So, you know, I work with the people who do these things. I'm like, hey, you know, like, and they ask me what's going on. I'm like, hey, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And they literally were like, no, you're not coming in a month later. You're coming in Monday. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I was very fortunate in that. And it's like, I kind of, you know, obviously it can't be like this, but I wish that it was like that for everybody. Like, it should be like this. Like, it, you know, it should be like, boom, we're doing this next week. Like, you're not coming in next month. So I think that was a big, but that was a big help for me. Like everybody literally just kind of pushed to get things done way quicker than I think they would have been done if I didn't work at the hospital. So who are the most important people? Um, You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people, but there are probably a few that really stand out. Uh, Who, who are those people that really were kind of like your angels, you know, through this whole period and and really helped you? Like, who, who are those people? This is, you're right. I mean, there was a lot. So you're, okay. Not I'll to pick favorites, things. but, but there, I, there, is a, there is a handful or, or two I, or three who are there. No, I think it's very clear, like the MVP of this whole situation. Obviously my parents, you know, my mom, my dad, they came literally from Louisiana. And when I tell you, drive, like coming from Louisiana, that is an all day affair. It doesn't matter how you cut it. It doesn't matter. You're always going to have to take two flights or if you drive, you know, four hours to get, it's an all day affair. My parents dropped everything and literally came every other treatment that I had. And then the treatments that they didn't come, they called. And then, you know, my mom was like, if you need me at any moment, I will drop everything and be there. And my dad literally was the same. It, so you know, they were literally the MVPs. (laughs) Like they were my friends, um, Melissa, Chris and Latoya. They took me to my treatments and when my parents weren't here, um, my aunt, uh, she came up to visit me and she took me to a treatment. Um, So I feel like, you know, when I physically just couldn't do things for myself, like those are the people that literally stepped in and physically, you know, took me to the treatments and, you know, made sure I was okay after being pretty much doped up on all this medication. Um, So I think that was a big deal. And then, of course, I had a lot of other friends that came in to check in on me and, you know, made calls and things like that. But yeah, (laughs) it was, it was was a lot, but you, you really find out who your true friends are, you know, like, you know, they say like, you'll never know your true friends are until... I'm like, yeah, that's so true. Like, those are like my true friends. So, <laughs> and um, the time, you know, I think the 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 nice thing is that you're you're very fortunate that you're surrounded by these, you know, all these great people. But as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of times that it's just you by yourself. Mm. In bed, you know, you know, even if you know you're getting treatment, I mean, there's people there, but it's it's just you. So what what did you think about like you know like the times that I was just at home alone how did you keep yourself going um I think another you know what and and now I can't believe I failed to mention this I failed to mention I have a dog (laughs) and I am not gonna lie he kept me going because you know it was like a companion he was there all the time. I have a five pound Yorkie poo 
And he, <laughs> I he's a Yorkie poo. Yes, he's a Yorkie poodle. He is so sweet, and oh, he literally I know that exists. But that makes yes. sense. And he was so sweet. Like it just, I don't know. I just again, I didn't feel lonely. I just felt fine. Yeah, it's hard to explain. I mean, maybe maybe it was just from all the medication that I had to take. I mean, because a lot of time I was asleep, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, I didn't, the nausea to me was a different kind of nausea. It wasn't, it was not like, I'm dizzy, I'm sick. It's just, I felt just weird all the time. Mm-hmm. So I would have to like take medication and then I would have to like take a nap and then I would eat something. And of course, you know, I didn't really have a lot of time to, to not to just be sitting there like literally like my aunt would facetime me and check in on me and talk to me and just be like oh how's your day going did you eat like that i think that was pretty much the topic of conversation with everybody <laughs> did you eat i'm like i ate yes <laughs> yeah and again it, get, it just seems like there's this theme of um making sure that you don't have you that you have um you don't have a shortage of compassion and you know, good emotions and feelings around you. And and I think that there's some, there's another really powerful thing about having an animal around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dog, you know, because yeah. it's like they're happy to see you no matter what, <laughs> you know, like that's, you know, and, and I think, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that you didn't have to be on antidepressants and you had this remarkable recovery because again, I think your body was allowed to really focus on healing itself. Yeah. And I don't know, I, th- I really think that's, that's, I mean, look, I don't, you and I, we see it all the time in medicine that it's not a surprise that people who have really bad uh, chronic conditions, a lot of times they're, you know, it's stemming from something like they have a lot, a lot of stress, right? Like stress yeah. doesn't help things. It makes things a lot. No. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think it's, it's logical to think that from a physiological standpoint, if you swing on the other direction, a lot of really good, you know, emotions, positivity, just, you know, feeling fulfilled and, and grateful and all these things that has to have some physiological effects on the body. I mean, it just has oh, to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely think so. <laughs> and so when, you know, are you, are you still in treatment now or where, where are things at, at now? So I finished treatment. Um, let me see. I think it was in January. Um, the actual chemo treatment. I think my last chemo was in January um, because when I thought, and this was also a really tough one for me, but when I thought it was over, because I, I had the four treatments, I was like, okay, that's it. And then the doctor was like, oh, okay. You know, they saw something on the the um, PET scan that you know we weren't really aware of. And just to be safe, we want to do four more treatments. So it kind of drag it out a little bit longer. So I pushed it to January, which again, that was like tough to hear, but it was another moment where I was like, you know what, we'll cross the bridge as it comes. Um, I mean, actually during treatment, I mean, you know, these are just a few things that happened. Like literally my port came out because my skin was too tight, I guess, I don't know. But then I had to go get a pick line. So, and this was like, I had two more treatments to go. And I'm just like, this is just, you know, it's tough. And again, I feel like when I tried to, you know, see myself getting down about it and everything just kind of lifted me back up. So that ended in January. And I was like, and that's it. And I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. They were like, you're going to go through radiation. It's going to be, I want to say is that 35 treatments or 45? It, the numbers are kind of like, I kind of forget, but it was literally daily for a month. And my mom and dad, of course, they offered to come out. And I was like, it's okay. I'm fine now. I can do this part. It's literally just you go in there, you lay down, they have you do all these kind of crazy, you know, breaths and stuff like that. Which, fun fact about this, um, the, the PET scan, I didn't mention this. This was like a really crazy thing. When I got diagnosed with cancer and I had to go do a PET scan, um, I remember the weekend or that same weekend, I had to take a patient down for the same diagnosis that I had. And like that kind of, ah, that kind of stuff like gets to me. I'm like, I can't, I can't like, I just remember bits and pieces of like how things went. And I'm like, oh God, I can't believe that happened. But um, it was all over at the end of February. um, And I talked to my doctor and they said, take off March. 
or take off most of March. So I took off um, half, I think, I guess it was half February to half March, and then I went back to work. Got it. And you just got out of this complete roller coaster of a ride. You went through hell. <laughs> and it's not like you went back to work in January or February when we didn't know what was going on. You went mm -hmm. to back to work when in April? Um, Mid-March. Mid-March. Yeah. Getting close right at the peak of being everyone's just is afraid of dying and freaked out. Like that was the peak of, of, of how intense this pandemic has been. At what point did you say, hey, you know what? I think I'm not only going to go back to work, but I'm going to go and volunteer on the COVID units. Can you walk us through that? Because that so, was hard. when I heard, I heard uh, Rebecca tell me about it, and mm -hmm. like, you know, he just got out of this uh, cancer diagnosis. And I'm like, I'm like, I'd love to interview him. She's like, yeah. And then um, after he got out, he went and volunteered on the COVID unit. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, <laughs> so, oh, can you walk us through that. <laughs> It wasn't, okay, so this is the thing. Had I not worked in that unit already, I probably wouldn't have gone, but that was my home unit, the medical ICU, right? So they turned it into a COVID unit. So I'm seeing, you know, my unit be turned into a COVID unit. I'm seeing all my coworkers work super hard. And, and again, like I said, I've been an ICU nurse for years, so I know how, like, I know kind of how to handle these situations. You know, I was a charge nurse on my unit before I left. I was orienting people. So I was like, I was like, I want to get back in there. And I guess that I want to, you know, I want to be able to, to do this. I want to come on and, you know, be like of assistance. Like I want to do what I was made to do. Um, so I get back to work and of course my coworkers are all scared that I'm up on the unit. They're like, what is the, like, why are you here? And I'm like, I work here. Like, what do, you know, I talked to my doctor and unfortunately I feel like my doctors just as I too, they're like, you know what, to be honest, we don't really know what your risk is at this point. They were like, you know, your numbers look fine. Um, you never really got to any critical level that we were concerned that you would get super sick you know it was always an option but you never happened so we aren't too concerned about your numbers but just know you know that you're not you know the same health that you were before right so of course i was we don't know much about medicine you go through chemo your immune system isn't at tip-top shape at, at that point. yeah so yeah. keep going <laughs> So I was scared. I was like, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting. So of course they wouldn't let me go in the rooms. Like, you know, for the first maybe I want to say month, I did not go into a COVID room. I literally just took care of because we still have regular patients. So I took care of the regular patients. We were um onboarding a lot of nurses at this point because they were like, we're gonna need nurses. So I was orienting nurses on regular patients. Um my fourth day back after being gone for like eight months or so. I was orienting somebody and they were like, well, we just need you to show her how to use the computer. She's been an ICU nurse. I'm like, I don't know how to use the computer. I've been gone for like months, like everything changed. Um, but it was okay. You know, I, you know, I guided her and got her off orientation and that and the other. And then uh, eventually it came the time that I was, you know, I had to start going in the COVID rooms because that's all we had. So, um, you know, of course I was scared and, of course, I was a little bit behind on what, you know, the full COVID experience was at this point because I wasn't going in the room. So now I'm actually, you know, the experienced nurse relying on my coworkers to tell me what to do. Like, be like, you know, how do I, you know, get dressed for this? Like, how do I do this? Proning patients, we were proning, you know, flipping them over on their stomach so, you know, they can breathe better with their lungs, you know. Um, I hadn't done that because I wasn't going in those rooms. So I remember one time, like I go in the room and I have nurses with me and I have like the RT who's also a travel there. He's a travel RT because he, you know, we needed so many staff um, and everybody's looking to me for the direction. I was like, oh, this is actually my first time doing this in a long time. So, because I hadn't had to go in these rooms. So I had to, 
step it up. I had to get back to the nurse that I was before I left. Um, and I, you know, I explained that to, to a lot of my coworkers because I'm just like, and I want to be like open and honest. Like I want people to understand like, this is where I'm coming from. I'm like, I don't feel like the strong, you know, nurse that I left as because I was gone for so long and, you know, I just wasn't here and it took time to get back to that nurse to be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I can take charge. Like, this is what we're, you know, I mean, eventually, obviously I got back to that, but at first I was not that nurse. Like I was like, oh goodness. Like I was scared again. Maybe not new grad scared, but just, I was nervous. I was nervous. Absolutely. Absolutely. What were the kind of things that you saw, I guess, you know, dealing with COVID on the front lines? I saw extremely, extremely sick people. So once I started, you know, going into the COVID rooms and having them for my own patients, I started orienting more people, um, you know, to teach them how to work in the medical ICU. So of course you're going through teaching somebody else how to be a medical ICU nurse. And then you're seeing extremely, extremely sick people, people like sick people that you've not, like, this is not common, like to have a, per like everybody like this, basically the biggest deal, you know, that people were having was, it was a respiratory issue. Um, Cause basically, I guess they were saying that it would be like a cytokine storm or something that would mm -hmm. basically cause so much inflammation and then it would put the patient into ARDS. Um, and the ARDS was so bad that they're on like really, really high uh, vent settings. Like they're on peeps of like 16 and things like that. And they're not oxygenating well enough. Um, their uh, pulmonary, I get, what are they, the PF ratio? Like, I was like, I'm trying to think of all these things as they were like coming out. The PF ratios were low. So we had to, to basically prone them to open their lungs to, to make them oxygenate. Um, but in the middle of all this, we have them on, you know, two sedatives, like we have them on fentanyl, we have them on profile, we have them on a paralytic. Um, and you know, when you're on a paralytic, you run the risk of like, not, you know, get regaining muscle strength, like your muscles basically weaken after some time, you know, at this time, they're not sure which treatment's the right treatment. So they're giving the Plaquenil, they're doing you know, remdesivir, they're doing all these things, they're doing the con uh, the convalescent plasma. Mm -hmm. It was a lot to keep up with. It was a lot to keep up with on top of putting on, you know, the whole outfit, you know, teaching somebody else how to put on the whole outfit, then bringing that person in the room, then trying to make sure the patient's safe. Um, and things are changing in real time because we're, we're, we're changing I mean, we're constantly. But back in the spring, I mean, it was like, it was chaos. It was a show. It was a show. Um, you don't want to expose too many people as well, you know. But the thing about an ICU room, those glasses, you can't hear anything past them. Like, you literally cannot hear anything. They're somehow, they were built to not hear anything. So it's tough when you're, like, in the room trying to do things, patients crashing, somebody screaming outside of the window. You're like, what? So... And how, how, um, yeah, so I was back in the spring. So are you still on the same unit now? I am. I am still currently on the same unit. Um, I'm actually looking into transitioning to a different unit um, just because I'm also in school um, to be a nurse practitioner. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I just, I figured, you know, I've done a lot of time in the NICU. I, oriented a lot of people. I'm just I like, think I, you deserve I think I've done a part. <laughs> little time, yeah. It's like, I wanna see something new, you know? Now, obviously, if they need me. Diagnosis and treatment, and then volunteering the COVID unit at the height of the pandemic. I think you deserve to yeah. lighten it up a little bit. Just, you oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so. And I, I'm gonna hopefully learn something new in a different area, maybe kind of see where I wanna be as a nurse practitioner. And obviously, if my unit calls, I'll come back, you know, if, if I have to, I will. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Joseph, again, really appreciate you spending some time with us. And as we kind of wrap up, I got a couple of quick sort of rapid fire questions for you. Um, but I think the first is if you can um, speak directly to anybody who's just received a cancer diagnosis or family member who's 
has somebody in their life who received a cancer diagnosis, what, what, what's the message you want to, you know, perhaps tell them? I would definitely say, keep your head up. Um, you'll cross that bridge when it comes. Like you can't, you, the more you stress about it, it's not going to get better. I mean, at the end of the day, you can only do so much, you know, you know, even if it doesn't end favorably, what was the point in stressing about it? You really have to kind of just take in every positive, you know, energy that you can and just just kind of, you know, hope for the best. But obviously you just kind of have to just try to stay as happy as possible because, you know, getting down on it literally is not going to help you. I completely agree. And I think I really like your mantra. It was uh, the only solution is to stand and fight. No, I got that from Florence. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> so I think, I think there's something to be said about that, which is that was a mantra you said to yourself every day. And I guess you're right. I mean, getting down about it, stressing, like that's not going to change anything. That's not going to make yeah. things better. And so I think you found a way to live with it and yeah. make the most out of it. And I think there's a lot to be said there. Yeah. Um, and the last question I have for you is for your, for all the nurses who are listening and your fellow nurses, um, that are out there in the front lines dealing with COVID, what, what, what kind of message do you have for them? Um, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. Like, you know, thank you for working with me. Thank you for like fighting. Um, we've got this. Um, nurses are resilient. You know, doctors are resilient. We're going to, we're going to beat this. So that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing I have for everybody. We're going to beat this. We've got it. I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, uh, if I can say this for, for everybody listening, or anything, like, re uh, I really thank you. Thank you for being who you are and doing what you do because, um, you know, you didn't, you don't have to do these things. Right. Uh, and especially all the nurses out there. And I heard a, a very nice saying the other day that I like. Um, so when you save a life, do you know what, do you know what they call that person? No, actually, I've never heard this one. When you save, when you save a life, you're a hero. Oh. And but when you save a hundred, a hundred lives, you're a nurse. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty cool. I've never heard that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad. I, I heard. I was like, I hope people haven't heard this yet because I, I like to be the ones that share it. But yeah, I heard <laughs> it the other day, and I really liked it a lot. But really, um, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story. And I think that. You know, stories are the, are the things that really, you know, keep us going, that give us hope, that make, you know, give meaning in our suffering, you know, yeah. and I think people hearing your story is just, I think it's going to impact and influence in such a positive way so many people that you'll never meet, and you'll never know about. Yeah. Um, but thank you again so much, Joseph. We really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Absolutely. Stay on for a moment. I want to catch up with you. So thank you all for listening. This has been another great episode of Hills and Valleys, and we will see you next time. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hills and Valleys. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on our podcast. That way you're notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you're not already, please go ahead and follow Potrero Medical on all our social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you next time.